Hello and welcome to the Set in Stone podcast by Croesus Labs, the very best place to hear from the founders who are introducing blockchain technology to everyone by building real-world use cases. This podcast is also the right place to keep up with all things Croesus. Please enjoy. Joining us today is Daniel Lev, CEO and co-founder of CoinFlow Labs, a digital assets payment company making on-chain purchases more seamless and efficient than ever before. Dan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a sunny day in Chicago, so no complaints over here. Awesome to hear. I think where I want to start off today is by talking a little bit about how you found your way into the crypto Web3 industry and more specifically about why you were gravitated towards the payment side of things rather than maybe some of the more conventional fuzzy areas of the industry, such as you know crypto and NFTs more particularly. Yeah, definitely. So my background's in software engineering and I've been messing around with smart contracts for since really they're around. Um, and I started my career at PwC doing consulting, big four 500 companies, all the way from banking, payments, fintech, et cetera. Um, and then went to go and work at a company called Amount in Chicago as a product manager there. That company's focused on B2B fintech, um, primarily loan origination, where ran a team doing fraud payments and really everything around the loan origination side. Um, so learned a lot about FinTech, how payments work there. And then after that, had an opportunity to go work at a, a crypto gaming company running product there. And once we scaled that product up pretty heavily to about 30,000 users, um, mostly non-crypto native users, the biggest area that we saw struggle was not actually people using the, the product but getting a way to make payments for this product is blockchain based. So they need wallets, they need cryptocurrency and be able to communicate these smart contracts. Um, so I got pretty obsessed with that problem about two and a half, three years ago, especially with my background in products, software engineering and payments, um, doing it all the way from, you know, helping fortune 500 companies with this at PwC and smaller and tackling a smaller level with Amount, which was a startup that I joined at Series A and was there all the way till it grew Unicorn at Series B. Um, so yeah, that's how I really got into and got obsessed with the problem space around payments in crypto. That's awesome. Sounds like it was definitely a very natural fit for you and you kind of just stumbled your way into it from what you had previously been up to. And what were kind of some of the pain points that you had identified on the payment side that made you feel like there was a real opportunity to build a company here. Yeah, definitely. So the, the funny thing is the company that was previously out, which is Amount, uh, it, got, it was spun out from a banking company called Levant. They built software internally to help scale their company as they saw the loan origination part was really cumbersome. And then other banks could use this product. So they spun up a company and made it into Unicorn um, just by solving their own problems. And that's really what happened with the gaming company that I was at is we were onboarding users. The first issue to onboard non-crypto native users, as you very intimately know, is they need a wallet. Um, once we solved that problem, after the users had a wallet and kind of similarly what Creases does, the UX is amazing. Like anyone can use it. They don't need to have a ton of knowledge about blockchains, private keys, all that kind of stuff. Um, so once that is solved, the next piece is people need to be able to communicate with these smart contracts to buy digital goods and services. This digital good and service can be entering a contest, buying a digital collectible, paying, paying a vendor, whatever that service is or, or good is. Um, 
so what we realized is as soon as people get in the application, have a wallet, then they need to get cryptocurrency. Well, what they're really are trying to do is buy a good service, but to do this, they need cryptocurrency. And all that was really out there in the market was two different products. One's an on-ramp, which I'll, I'll dive into this a little, a little later, but at a high level, it's like an ATM where the user acquires a cryptocurrency, has to understand what the cryptocurrency does or how it can be used and then go and transact with it. Um, and the other products that are out there were like NFT minting tools um, and buying credit cards or buying an NFT with a credit card, but they control a smart contract and all that. But we didn't need either of those. We just needed smart contract or a tool, a payment tool that allowed users and users to be able to buy goods or services from a smart contract. Doesn't matter what the smart contract does as long as it's selling an appropriate good or service. Um, and we searched high and low for this everywhere and couldn't find it. So it, eventually we just decided to build, build it in house. And that's really the idea of CoinFlow. Um, talked to a bunch of people, they were having the same issues. And that's when we started CoinFlow. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about payments in the crypto industry and maybe crypto in general, their hesitancy is around the regulatory side of things and all of the barriers that have been put in place to make it so frictionful, if you will, to get started with crypto, to purchase, to trade, to store. How do you guys think about kind of navigating the regulatory side of things as, you know, a company on the payment side of things? Has it been a challenge for you or have you found smooth ways to kind of circumvent those obstacles? Yeah, definitely. So in regards to regulatory, the environment's always constantly changing. Um, but in, in terms of banking relations and financial institution relations, it's really about education and making sure they understand what you're doing to feel comfortable with it. And our model in terms of payments, we utilize a blockchain as a tool and our merchants are just settling transactions via smart contracts or a public blockchain versus to a bank account. So it's very similar to payment processing, like what Stripe does in Web2 and what other companies like Shift4, Braintree, et cetera, do versus selling users cryptocurrency and the user with that cryptocurrency goes and does whatever. It's very much more providing software solutions to merchants to accept payments from customers, which banks and other regulators understand a lot more than like, hey, we're giving a user a token and then this token can be done or, you know, it's up to their imagination what can be done with that token. So that's how we've tackled it is being able to use analogies and build our product in a way that one solves a problem that we know exists in traditional payments and two, being able to use analogies that regulators, financial institutions and banks understand and have worked with companies that do the same thing in traditional payments in Web 2 or Web 1, whatever you want to call the traditional space. Yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, Cresus as a company works with CoinFill Labs and they are our sole provider of our off-ramping needs, which for the listeners really means, you know, taking your crypto and getting it back into your bank account somehow, which is a relatively novel feature in the space and one that is often a really poor user experience. And I think, you know, from personal experience, what helps CoinFlow Labs stand out amongst other things is this focus on the user experience. And I guess it'd be interesting to hear how you guys think about creating financial use cases within the blockchain space that have a fixation on the user experience and how you've kind of maybe approach the user experience a little bit differently than some of the other companies in the space. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think it stems from our leadership's team being in 
being a user of these products that have a lot of friction around them in the payment space in, in blockchain, like I said, it really stemmed from us building this product based on requirements that we needed for a game that was reaching scale and onboarding tons, thousands and tens of thousands of non-cryptative users and understanding what the pain points are, listening to the customers, building that and then selling it to now our merchants to be able to give them those tools to onboard those same type of non-cryptative users. Um, so yeah, our offering product is a great example. We work really closely and did a bunch of diligence in terms of who our KYC partners are. I was actually responsible for that at Amount as well. So um, have making sure we pick the right vendors that have the same themes in mind for being able to have security, compliance regulation, but also that user experience is a core component when picking our backend vendors. So then when our partners integrate, they don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It's just there and it's frictionless. Yeah, that definitely resonates with what we do at Creasis as well. You know, we have this difficult job of creating what we like to call the first super app. And a lot of what that means is we need to pick areas in which we are going to be building out the feature ourselves or picking the best of breed partner to do it for us because you can't build everything. And that's just kind of the reality of the business. And so we're constantly having to sort through many different partners that do similar things. But what really is the defining characteristic for us and what we're kind of sorting for is the user experience. And, you know, that's one reason that we ended up settling on CoinFlow Labs as a partner there. So I know that you guys share that vision and maybe it would be a good time to just go over what the core products of CoinFlow Labs are and, you know, the, the use cases of each one of those. Yeah, definitely. So at a high level, the, the pitch is we're a payments company and primarily servicing solely Web3 and digital asset customers. Our customers are merchants and businesses who then onboard consumers into Web3. Um, we have two different product categories. One is focused on payment acceptance. So it's allowing our customers to be able to sell digital goods and services and accept traditional payments like credit cards, debit cards, ACH, et cetera. And on top of that, with that product suite, we have a dashboard that has a lot of payment adjacent tools. This can be thought of KYC, KYB, fraud detection, fraud prevention, orchestration to make sure there's a highest approval rates for when your credit card transactions are getting processed geolocation, deep analytics to know what your customers are spending, how much you're spending, what they're buying, et cetera. And primarily target customers for that are games, Web3 games, NFT platforms, marketplaces, decentralized storage compute, real world, real world assets. We just did a pretty cool launch with an esports company that um, you might have seen called Crater League where they're doing passes. So it really is a whole, whole different array of customers. There's quite a bit of stuff. Um, there, which we're always excited about. And then on the other side of the business is the fund disbursement. So allowing our merchants to pay out their end users and in crypto, it's called an off ramp, just like Lucas described. So allowing our customers to be able to let their end users off ramp their liquid crypto to their bank account instantly, which is a core area that most of our competitors don't have is a differentiator. Um, we have real-time payments live in the US, so you can off ramp 24, 7, 365 to a US bank account. And that's I think it's really cool because that's the benefit of crypto and connecting it to traditional finance. On top of that, our off-ramp allows, as Lucas said, to do KYC very seamlessly, bank account authentication through Plaid, so there's never errors or fat fingering. And we provide that all on one simple platform for our customers to onboard with. And yeah, that's CoinFlow at a 30,000-foot overview. 
sounds like you guys are spinning a lot of plates and solving a lot of different issues that all need a lot of attention. And it's interesting to me that you guys focused in on off-ramping as one of your core products. And it makes me wonder why on ramp, why on ramping rather than off ramping has become so mainstream so quickly amongst, you know, traditional wallets. And it's really only been in the last week or two, depending when this podcast comes out, that off ramping has sort of made it into the headlines of Web3 media. Why do you think it is that off ramping has taken so much longer to gain traction than on ramping? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And I definitely have some thoughts around this. Obviously, I could be wrong, but I think the big on ramps came to the market when there was a lot more attention around crypto, a lot more users that maybe didn't have it or wanted to get more access to it. Um, it was in the media all the time. Um, some call this time the bull market. <laughs> so I think that's why the on-ramp was really just seen as prevalent and users wanted an, a way to access crypto and either hold it as an investment or use it to buy an NFT or whatever it really may be. And that's that was a problem that space that people are solving for. Um, and off-ramps now are, are getting highlighted because if you want a whole ecosystem to surround and evolve like you need to be able to transact and get it out to your bank account um, because you know i can't pay my my apartment rent with usdc yet so if i wanted to get it out i have to use an off-ramp and if you're building a business like a game a wallet really anything that people need to be able to one utilize crypto but then go back and interact with the traditional world you need you need both the payment acceptance and then also the the off-ramp side of it so it's getting popular, but all of our, most of our, and most of our customers who are businesses, um, for example, a game, like a game can't only have one component. They can't have just an on-ramp because then if people ever win in this game that let's say they're winning NFTs or digital collectibles and they want to sell it, if they sell it and have no idea of how to actually realize that value and get it to their bank account, then they're, they're never gaining that value that was promised in web three. Like, Hey, you can own and realize this value. If, if it's just sitting in a wallet and you have no idea how to use, not really valuable. Absolutely. And, you know, going on Twitter over the last few days, there's been a lot of posts about people trying out these new off ramps with some of the mainstream wallets, such as MetaMask, that have recently integrated them. And a lot of users have been frustrated by the exceptionally high fees associated with some of these off ramps, you know, ranging from you know, five to sometimes 9%. How is it that CoinFlow Labs is able to offer such reasonable fees? I know that, you know, if you want to use the off-ramp inside of Cresis, you have an option to do it for free at no cost at all. And you may just have to wait a few days for the actual ACH to take place. And then you have the option to do instant ACH, or in other words, to instantly get your Ethereum back into dollars and then back into your bank account. And it's more than just Ethereum, but using Ethereum as kind of a proxy for other cryptocurrencies as well. How is it that CoinFlow is able to offer such a quick and affordable user experience while it seems like maybe some of these other payment companies targeting the same use case are struggling to do that? Yeah, I think it's it's twofold. One, where primarily of our infrastructure is on chain. So swaps, user accepts, it's on chain, similar to what you know, most wallets have. 
most of the on-ramps actually do all those computations off-chain with partner exchanges. So we're having a ton more fees, a bunch more infrastructure upkeep, and they're passing that to their customer. Another thing is they're taking the on-ramp business model, which has a lot of fees, and trying to extrapolate and put that onto the users for the off-ramp uh, because people are used to that in the market. It's a completely different business model, and there's, in terms of risk, um, I would argue there's less risk because when you when the off-ramp company gets a user's crypto and it settles, there's no chargeback risk. That's one of the beauties of blockchains. It's finality, right? Versus the on-ramp, there's a lot more chargeback risk. So it makes sense that the fees can be higher there because you're baking that into the price. Um, but I, I do think it's just they're putting a premium on their services for be, just trying it because they think they can get away with it. And we'll see them come down. I do think that so. Um, and then obviously the tech stack bloat, which they have with their on-ramps they've built, as I said, with a bunch of centralized infrastructure, a lot of different vendors that may have redundancy, they might have requirements, and everyone, as you know, in the centralized world gets a cut of all the payments. Um, so by us doing it, a lot of the stuff on-chain, minimize, minimize a lot of the parties involved and keep those fees really low and pass those savings off to the users. Um, try to take the same approach as leading payment companies in Web2, where there's a free model for ACH, like you said, which takes a little longer. And then where CoinFlow does make its money is when people want accelerated payments, which the, the blockchain folks do love because, you know, blockchain payments are instantaneous and they can pay for that premium. Very, very similar to Venmo's model on payouts. Right. That's super interesting. So you're maybe suggesting that just the fact that off-ramping and on-ramping have been kind of grouped as similar use cases maybe some of these other companies have decided that it makes sense to charge the same amount for these two things as if they are um, a similar enough product to warrant that. But in reality, you know, off-ramping should and can be more affordable and more seamless to the end user. And perhaps CoinFlow is working harder to, harder to unlock that value. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it could be how they have their contracts negotiated with their, with their backend infrastructure providers. I know that most of the on-ramp providers use a ton of different infrastructure providers that hold this custody of the crypto and do tons of different things. And there's a fee for having a wallet set up with them and a fee for KYC and a fee for each transaction. So that's probably all those fees in aggregate adding up to be a lot. Um, and we're not because, like I said, all of our infrastructure is on-chain. So that's, and we're passing off that value to the customer. Yeah, that's amazing. And just for the listener's knowledge, you know, what can you off-ramp with the CoinFlow off-ramp? So, you know, what coins can I get back into my bank account in the form of US dollars? You know, how long does this usually take with the different options? And kind of what's the configurability around the off-ramp? Yeah, so there's definitely a bit of flexibility depending on what chain you're on. Um, but we, we really have a wide range of assets in terms of what you can offer. As I mentioned, we plug into DEXs and DEX aggregators for liquidity. So uh, that's basically our limit into what we, we can and cannot do. Um, we're always up for new challenges and are always um, open to hearing where, where the demands from our customers and their end users are. In terms of getting, let's just say, Ethereum to your bank account on Ethereum mainnet, if you pay for accelerated um, basically, if you're a new user and you go to Creasis and you have a U.S. bank account through KYC and bank authentication, um, that should take less than a couple minutes, under two minutes. 
for most users, and you can even get done in under a minute. And from there, swapping Ethereum to your bank account directly, the the real holdup actually the Ethereum swap will take longer than the money to hit your bank account as soon as the Ethereum swap is done. So it depends on how the chain is working and if it's congested. Um, as soon as that's done, bank money will hit your bank account in real time in less than 30 seconds, even if it's on a Saturday night. So let's call that a couple minutes, which is pretty damn fast for getting Ethereum straight to your bank account on a Saturday night. Yeah, I would say so. And just to clarify, what is it that you mean by swapping? Because, you know, if I'm thinking about an asset that I have, whether it be Solana or Ethereum or some other cryptocurrency, and I'm trying to turn it into dollars and get it into my bank account, you know, how does swapping play a role there? And why is it necessary? And maybe why is it innovative? Yeah, definitely. So in regards to swapping, we use, we partner directly with stablecoin issuers. Um, and what happens is Ethereum is swapped directly to said stablecoin, let's just call it USDC in this matter. Um, and from there, once that happens, then we can turn that into dollars. We have liquidity on our end from bank accounts, and we can push that out from our bank account to the end merchants or end users bank account. Got it. And I'm curious to know, from the moment that I press sell, essentially, and I've initiated the process of sending my Ethereum into my bank account in the form of dollars, presumably, although, of course, this is possible with more than just the US dollar, you know, what actually happens underneath the hood? What are kind of the step-by-step -step processes that need to happen? Yeah, definitely. So if it's Ethereum, you'll see the price quoted. What happens is you're signing a transaction to swap Ethereum to USDC. Ethereum or the USDC, as soon as it gets swapped in that same transaction, has an instruction to go to a custodial account um, for benefit of CoinFlow. As soon as it hits there, it says, Sweet, we got Lucas's USDC, um, and that's correlated to US dollars. We send a message to one of our banking partners telling, saying that, hey, Lucas chose to get his money in three days, or Lucas chose money to get instantly. And we send that message saying, hey, move this amount of money from our partner bank directly to Lucas's bank account. And we have that information through Plaid securely in a token that we don't store either. So it's a lot of different messaging and um, a lot of different partner and it's just API calls really under the hood um, or on-chain calls. But that's really what we're doing is a bunch of different orchestration and waiting for people to say, yep, that went through smoothly. And then once we get one message, it continues down the flow from there. Very cool. And, you know, I know that you guys have been scaling rapidly over the last few months. And in general, you're a relatively new company and maybe you can remind me of when the company was founded and when you guys got started, but also what's it like building in the bear market and trying to attract, you know, new businesses in a time where nobody's thinking about crypto, maybe the average company thinks crypto's dead. And of course, you know, the services that you're building are super applicable to wallets and to DeFi protocols, but they're also potentially applicable to big brands who may be trying to introduce communities to different Web3 related activities, such as, you know, their own NFT marketplace or collectibles, or, you know, maybe they call it something else. Regardless, you know, how do you guys go about finding business in tough times? And what have you learned in that process? Yeah, definitely. So two, two good questions. The first one being when we start, um, 
now funny story. We basically um, told everyone about CoinFlow and what we're doing during Solana Breakpoint um, and received a ton of great feedback from investors, potential customers, et cetera. And on the plane ride back from Breakpoint in Lisbon, um, found out about FTX collapse and the whole mood changed around everything um, for really everyone overnight, which was pretty crazy to see. Um, so that's, that was our origin story. And then we finished fundraising in January. So that, that time between FTX collapse, which is mid-November right on Thanksgiving and, and the start of the year was very, very slow. Everyone was getting their ducks in a row and needed a much, much needed rest during that holiday season. And then we hit the ground running really hard and found amazing partners. Um, let the round was co-led by Jump. Reciprocal Ventures, and we have a bunch of other people on board, DCG, Gumi, Miller Capital. Anyways, a bunch of great investor partners there. And then we've been steadily growing ever since in terms of customer base, growing every month. And same with volume processed. The, that, so that's our origin story. In terms of building during the bear, it's been very interesting because a lot of our customers are, there's, there's two sides of customers. A lot of them are, like as you said, wallets, dApps, et cetera, who have been building crypto products and targeting Web3 native users. And they're realizing, wow, we need to expand and get non-crypto native users. And something that we built is actually really beneficial to them, but they have no way to access it because they don't have crypto. They might not have a wallet. So they need to use CoinFlow for payments and abstract all that. Um, so that's been really good. And we've been honestly swamped with demand um, and have been fortunate to be swamped with demand and picking and choosing who we can work with, which is awesome during these times and we're excited about what happens and during the bull market if we're this busy and then the other side of the coin is companies that are more enterprise and decided that hey blockchain service an actual purpose and can benefit our company long term maybe a year or two ago when still the bull market was happening and now we're seeing a lot of those headlines because enterprises move a lot slower than startups so they've been planning these things for a year year and a half two years for example stripe on ramp that launched months ago um, that was being planned really long ago. Um, same with the PayPal stable coin. Really cool to see those types of things launch. Um, what people don't realize is, you know, that wasn't decided one or two or three months ago. This was quarters or years in the making. So that it's it's really good to see those things come to fruition um, and still have interest from those enterprises. Um, people just aren't seeing as many of those launches because, as I said, they definitely take some time and planning. Um, one that we were just recently a part of was a company called eFuse and they launched Crater League. Mr. Beast promoted that, which is a really innovative thing. And I think everyone involved in that process learned some things because um, the blockchain component was so abstracted away that a lot of users didn't know. And some of the partners didn't even know that they're using blockchain tech behind it. So there's definitely still an educational component to know. And there's stigma around utilizing blockchain tech, even if it's just a digital collectible. So some middle ground on learning lessons, but um, won't dive into that quite right now. Sure. You know, that kind of reminded me, I think that a lot of the reason centralized exchanges have been so dominant for so long, despite, you know, plenty of great wallet options out there, of course, Creases being one, is because it can feel a lot more seamless to move money into a centralized solution. And, you know, what you guys are doing is trying to merge that gap in a way and make it feasible for someone coming from, you know, a Web2 or a centralized Web3 company as a user to, you know, find just as easy of an experience on the payment side. And my question to you would be, how do you see that progressing in the future? Do you see a world in which 
Web3 payments can be as seamless as custodial or Web2 payments? And kind of what future is CoinFlow betting on? Yeah, that's a great question and something that I talk about all the time. So my take is that credit cards and debit cards aren't going away anytime soon, especially credit cards. They just have people love points. Um, there's whole industries around people just being able to find the best credit card for points. Visa, MasterCard, Discover have done a great job providing trust. You see Visa logo, you know, payment secure is going to get there, et cetera. Um, I don't think that's going away. What I do think is stable coins, and I've been preaching this, so it's pretty cool to see that Visa announced yesterday. Stable coins are going to be used as settlement. So you swipe a card and the merchant receives a stable coin for that digital good or service, which Visa just announced they're officially doing publicly on Solana with USDC. And that's exactly what CoinFlow does. So you swipe your card and the merchant smart contract receives USDC instantly. Um, this allows you to get settlement of funds on a Friday night, Saturday or Sunday, which traditionally you would not be able to if you swiped a card, let's say at a coffee shop on Friday afternoon, the merchant wouldn't be getting paid in that money in their bank account until Monday or Sunday. But in this world where you can settle on chain with stable coins, you can get that 24 7 365 which unlocks a ton of cool use cases, especially in the creator economy, peer-to-peer networks, marketplace, et cetera. So that's the future we're betting on is being able to utilize blockchain rails and stable coins, but still relying on those um, card networks and other centralized parties to do payments, but just settle on chain for then once it gets there, instant settlement, transparency, and money movement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at Crisis, we think a lot about what payment options provide real value to the user? What do they actually want to do? You know, if they're buying crypto, how do they want to buy it? You know, what's the most seamless process we can create? Are they going to want to use one payment method over a different payment method? And, you know, how much are they going to want to buy? And all these things weigh into, you know, picking the right partner for the user and then trying to design a user interface that complements the capabilities how do you guys think about different payment options? I know that one of your products is, you know, NFT checkout, if you will. So the ability to buy an NFT without crypto sitting in a wallet and maybe, you know, without crypt- without a wallet at all, it's a separate pain point in itself. You know, if you show up to a crypto or NFT marketplace and you don't have crypto or a wallet, how is CoinFlow kind of helping the user in that experience. Yeah, definitely. So I think not only are we helping the user, our target customer, with the user in mind, our target customer is actually the person of the marketplace selling that and being able to onboard that user so they can have revenue. And what that means is being able to make generalizable payment technology that doesn't only work with like, hey, we built a smart contract, you have to use our smart contract, but more of like, what do our merchants have and be able to generalize that so they can use our payment tools for any use case that's applicable to them and their end users in mind. And that's the thesis that we have instead of like, hey, you want to buy an NFT with a wallet or maybe without a wallet, use this whole prepackaged solution and you have to use our smart contracts. This is all you can do because that's really limited. And that's what a lot of our, you know, quote unquote competitors do. I'm not saying it's a bad strategy. It definitely helps you to it helps go to market really quickly. Um, but what, what we're building is being able to really service unique functionalities. And we understand that every one of our customers is different. So their end user requirements are going to be different. And 
to summarize that is generalizability of what kind of settlements we do on different smart contracts and wallets, et cetera. Yeah, that's super cool. I think what you're alluding to here is just the fact that there is such untapped potential to open up these opportunities to a broader market. And, you know, it's really on the payment side of things to enable that, you know, with people arriving to these marketplaces that just don't have the tools in place to participate there, you know, there are new ways of allowing these users to take advantage of the service. And, you know, for the marketplace itself, this is, you know, really enlarging the pie and the opportunity to acquire new users and create additional revenue. And that's, you know, super powerful for sure. And so, Dan, what can people expect from CoinFlow over the next year or so? Is there anything that you guys are excited about building or that people can, um, anticipate being released in the near term? Yeah, there's tons of things that we're building. So the answer always is more ways to pay and more ways to get paid out. So more international coverage. Uh, FedNow is coming to the U.S. We have bank partners already established for that. So once our bank partners go live, we'll have FedNow as well. Um, more different chains as there is a numerous amount of chains coming out. Um, chains that have consumer applications and needs for payments We'll definitely be on those as well. Um, and yeah, those, those are the main things. So, and obviously more customers and with customers come unique and cool use cases and requests. That, that's really the focus is finding really good partners and customers to work with and keep having them keep pitch us really cool ideas, um, building for them, building with them. And there's never an idea that we haven't been able to, you know, use at multiple customers. We build something once and then are able to then leverage it for other customers as well. So that's that's what I'm most excited about is the unknown. Um, things that I don't know that we're gonna get requested from the, the blockchain space is perfect for that because everyone's really sharp around here and everyone comes from different backgrounds and is servicing different end users and different products. Yeah, very, very interesting. I'm, you know, very excited to see what CoinFlow does in the next year. And I, you know, have felt like from the beginning of meeting your team that you guys are working on something and thinking about a problem a bit differently than some of the other similar companies in the space. And I have confidence that you'll be applying the newest technologies and the best experience to whatever you're building out. And Croesus will be here waiting to put those tools to use. And so thank you so much for coming on and helping our audience understand a bit more about what you're up to. And, you know, where can people find out more about what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Our website's coinflow.cash. People can find out more there. There's an inquiry form there. So if they ever want to chat or learn more, feel free to fill that out. Um, and yeah, that's that's definitely where to find us. Or if they want to use our off-ramp, check it out at in the Creases app. It's there. Um, and they can learn more about a product from them. But yeah, thanks for having me, Lucas. This has been, this has been great. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe at no cost. Thank you.